This is all theater. This is all just political theater. Political theater. Political theater. Pure political theater. Theater. Political theater. The nefarious, significant, and protracted political, political, political theater for political theater's sake. I yield back. From Washington, this is Political Theater. Roll Call's review of the spectacle of politics on Capitol Hill and across the country. I'm Jason Day. What do we do as well about the the fact that about 20 states, as I understand it from from your friend on the other side, have dealt with this problem through citizen initiatives um, as a remedy to deal with this, uh, including, I think, five of them just this last election and a bunch more on the ballot in the coming election. Why should we wade into this when that alternative exists? The simple answer, Justice Gorsuch, is this. The vast majority of states east of the Mississippi, including specifically North Carolina, do not have citizen initiative. Partisan redistricting, or gerrymandering, has been around almost as long as the republic itself, dating back to 1811 in Massachusetts uh, and a process that was instituted by the Massachusetts governor, Elbridge Gerry. We got the term gerrymandering out of that, and we're still struggling to figure it all out, as you could hear from the Supreme Court arguments that we opened the podcast with. We're going to explore the topic because we've seen a number of court cases uh, address the issue, including not just the Supreme Court, but also at the district and circuit court levels and state courts. Everybody seems to be talking about redistricting. Simone Pathé and Stephanie Aiken. Two of our campaign reporters here at CQ Roll Call are going to help us uh, navigate this maze of maps. Uh, Simone, Stephanie, welcome to Political Theater. Thank you. Hi, Jason. Hi. Let's talk about the most recent news that we saw, which is that Ohio, uh, a, a, uh, um, a, a panel of federal judges in Ohio, struck down Ohio's congressional maps as an unconstitutional uh, gerrymander. Um, and and the, the Ohio, uh, state of Ohio has appealed this to the Supreme Court. And they've also asked for a stay. Uh, this just happened in the last week. Uh, what, what's so significant about that? And before we get into some of the other myriad cases that we can talk about. Yeah, so this is potentially really good news for Democrats. Republicans control uh, 12 of the congressional districts in Ohio. Democrats 12 of 16. 12 of 16, right. so that leaves Democrats with four. Mm-hmm. Um, Democrats tried to knock off several Republican incumbents in 2018. They actually spent millions of dollars in a special election that we've all now since long forgotten about. But Ohio's 12th district mm-hmm. for a while last year was um, a pretty exciting place to be. Right, now represented by Representative Troy Balderson, Republican. Yes. Um, And so Democrats have kind of written off the state based on the map that is in place right now, just because it was so hard to make any inroads. Um, The Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee, which is, of course, the the, uh, campaign arm of House Democrats here in Washington, D.C., has not included any Ohio seats on its target list for 2020. And yeah, Simone, as you as you point out, they didn't knock off any any of those people uh, in any Republicans, the Democrats didn't, even though they won the majority handily in 2018. Right. Right. Yeah. One of the reasons this is significant also is that, you know, the, the states redistrict every 10 years, according to the census, even though sometimes they, they do a mid, midterm redistricting, as we saw in the early part of the 21st century. But the, it seems like the Democrats did, you know, realize like the, that the Republican legislature uh, in, in 
for the 20 starting with the 2012 maps they drew them in such ways that they just weren't going to be able to make any inroads and they were going to have to wait until 2022 and after the next census is that correct yeah and the the court um, that ruled on the ohio map has now said that they need to have a new map before that for 2020 potentially giving democrats another opportunity um, before the census mandated redistricting to pick up seats in that state republicans of course argue that their advantage in the state um, and the fact that democrats were not able to win any seats has nothing to do with redistricting, but just has to do with the quality of their candidates. So we could potentially see a a redoing of the map for the 2020 races and then a redoing of it again for 2022. Uh, Ohio is one of those states that tends to lose seats uh, because of population shifts. Uh, so that so that could be kind of interesting. This and th- this this wasn't even the most. I mean, this was the most recent case, but right before that, stuff happened in Michigan, right? Stephanie, uh, this Ohio news followed almost, you know, really quickly on the heels of news we got in Michigan, too, of another another court case in Michigan. Let's talk about that a little bit. Well, I think one of the things that's interesting here is we're seeing a handful of state-level rulings by these federal panels that are really pushing the the issue for the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court's been really reluctant to rule on this in the past. Mm-hmm. And because of the way these cases are structured, they are heard by this three three panels of, of judges and the federal federal courts on the mm-hmm. state level, and then they immediately go to the Supreme Court if they're appealed. And it's it's really forcing the Supreme Court to 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 hear their arguments in, in depth. You know, a lot of these rulings have been really lengthy. The Ohio one was 300 pages long. Right. Um, in Michigan, I'm not sure how long that one was. Um, but it's, it, we can assume it's lengthy because I mean, yeah. you're talking about like mapping of millions of people sorting and and you know, sort of packing and cracking uh, or, or all these different terms. You have to explain all that kind of stuff. And it was, but it was the same result though. In Michigan, a federal panel said this is an unpartisan gerrymander and it it, it favored Republicans too. So yes. we're seeing a trend there. Uh-huh. Right. Uh-huh. And another thing in Michigan um, that it really clarifies the issue is um, you're seeing a lot of, of what's at stake here. I mean, it's not just a question of what, what party is in power. It's also a question of um, how responsive lawmakers are to their constituents. So in Michigan, you can make the argument that the Flint water crisis wouldn't have happened without redistricting because the Republican lawmakers there were not responsive to complaints from from local constituents who, who were complaining about the water quality there. In other states where we're seeing um, redistric- redistricting arguments, there are, there are similar things playing out in Florida right now. There's mm-hmm. um, a question of whether um, people who have had felony convictions can vote. There are questions about abortion rights in other states. And and you could make the argument that that a lot of these issues would not be coming to a head if if the lawmakers were were responding to the constituents who who put them into office. And what what we're seeing at the Supreme Court level too is that just uh, back in March, the Supreme Court uh, heard heard arguments uh, in in cases involving Maryland and and North Carolina and and there actually it shows that this is a bipartisan concern the Maryland map has uh, the the folks who are critics of it are saying that this unfairly advantages Democrats uh, in Maryland and North Carolina it it, adva- it it throws an advantage towards Republicans um, and the Supreme Court will probably get a ruling sometime in June for that and one of the reasons that this is significant for what we're looking at in Ohio and Michigan is the the state of Ohio said we should wait until we see how the Supreme Court rules uh, it, so that in, in case they establish some sort of precedent or just what the reasoning is we you know we should we shouldn't be 
having to redraw the lines just yet until we see that ruling. I mean, it's all it all sort of rolls into one big pile of redistricting, it seems. Yeah, because remember, every state is going to have to draw their lines again after 2020 for 2021 or in 2021 for 2022. Right. <laughs> um, and so the implications of the Supreme Court ruling potentially in just a month or so are pretty extraordinary. Um, I talked to uh, Kathy Fung, who's the National Redistricting Director for Common Cause, which is on the side of um, the original plaintiffs in, in both the Maryland and uh, North Carolina cases mm-hmm. um, about just how monumental this this decision could be. Clear incentive for courts to look deeply about the motivations and the effects of partisan gerrymandering and uh, to try to get it right this time around because it will really affect what happens in 2021. It signals if you think that it was bad in 2011, the technology and the ability to manipulate data has gotten 10 times more sophisticated. And we will have a real crisis of democracy if we don't rein partisan gerrymandering in in time for the 2021 cycle. Also, uh, Stephanie, you've had some discussions with the American Civil Liberties Union that that sort of weigh in on the Ohio case. Yeah, um, to Simone's point, one of the things one of the ACLU lawyers who worked on that case said to me was, right now we're only seeing a handful of cases because there are are really only a handful of states where uh, redistricting has been so extreme. But if the Supreme Court doesn't weigh in on this now in 2020, the danger is that a lot more legislatures are going to try to do the same thing. So we're going to start seeing a, a lot more of this. And what I find sort of fascinating about this too is that the the there is a model for doing it in a in a manner that takes as much of the politics out of it as you can. Um, Arizona, my home state, Iowa, California—they all have independent redistricting commissions, and you know th- this is this seems to just make sense to me uh, that that you would have you you would you would have a more a more neutral process. Simone, you pointed out that Paul Clement, the former Solicitor General of the United States, who's now in private practice, his his argument wasn't in favor of gerrymandering so much; it was in favor of the prerogatives of the legislature. Yeah, so no one is arguing in favor of political gerrymandering. It's about where the lines are drawn, um, not the map lines, but oh, there's <laughs> the, so many layers there. <laughs> the lines of how far you can uh-huh. go, and so Clement, who is representing the, the North Carolina Republicans, the incumbents whose districts would stand to be um, redrawn mm-hmm. and, and lose power, was arguing that Congress um, has the authority to deal with this issue. Mr. Clement, Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the court. This court has repeatedly failed to identify a justiciable standard for partisan gerrymandering claims. The cause of that failure is not a lack of judicial imagination. Rather, the root cause of this failure is the basic decision of the framers to give responsibility for congressional districting to political actors, and then to police the possibility that state legislatures which the framers knew to be partisan institutions, would engage in too much partisanship, the framers chose a structural solution by giving the federal Congress supervisory authority. He actually cited the Democrats' initiative, uh, H.R. 1, sort of a good government reform bill that uh, has no prospects of Mm -hmm. becoming law because it won't be taken up in the Senate, as evidence that uh, this is an issue that perhaps should be left to Congress to deal with and that over-involvement from the judicial branch will set a dangerous precedent. 
I think um, the Supreme Court justices, nobody's really saying that gerrymandering is a good thing. The question for them is really when the court should weigh in and how these lines should be drawn. And that's something that the conservative justices have had some some real concerns about. They are, are worried that the courts are going to have to start weighing in in all of these elections, and that is going to bring up some real partisan issues. Another thing that's interesting is that um, a lot of the um, presidential candidates are, are starting to talk about this, too. We're seeing a lot of the, the Democratic presidential candidates talk about it as part of their platform. Um, Elizabeth Warren was pledging money to groups that are fighting gerrymandering um, or partisan gerrymandering. Cory Booker has has weighed in. After a Pennsylvania ruling last year, we see um, Donald Trump coming out and saying that that, that ruling was very unfair to Republicans. Um, so we're kind of seeing where the lines are going to be drawn in the, the presidential debates there. Right. And the, the irony about the Pennsylvania uh, ruling is that it was the Pennsylvania Supreme Court. It did not advance to the to the U.S. Supreme Court. Uh, the lines were sort of settled. Uh, Democrats did pick up uh, quite a few seats in Pennsylvania in, in route to the majority. But there is a consistent theme with the Supreme Court where, in particular, the Chief Justice, uh, John Roberts, has said, you know, Congress is free to get off its duff <laughs> and legislate this at any point. And of course, as congressional reporters, we're, we think that's adorable, right? <laughs> I mean, that, that Congress would actually do something. I'm sure, uh, you know, the, the, Mitch McConnell had a good chuckle to himself when he, upon being informed that Paul Clement had suggested that H.R. 1 could be a remedy for this, as he's pledged that it will never see the light of day in the Senate. Yes. And it's interesting, too, that we're all talking about political gerrymandering right now, because for a long time, what we meant when we said that was really racial gerrymandering. Mm-hmm. And remember that in North Carolina, which is one of the first cases that really uh, brought this issue to the fore, the maps that were passed in 2016 that are now being challenged as a political gerrymander, those were supposed to be the remedial maps for the racial gerrymander that the three-court, three-judge panel had struck down. And mm-hmm. so the Republican legislature's fix was to say, okay, well, we won't make it purely based on race. We'll do it by party. But in places like North Carolina, of course, there is a lot of overlay between party and right. race. Right. But, but the racial question hasn't been solved either. We, there are still a lot of cases that are in, in the courts right now that challenge racial gerrymandering, too. And also there's one in Connecticut that challenges gerrymandering based on prison populations where um, people in, in prison are being counted for their residency in the prison instead of where their permanent residency is. So that packs them in a different way. I think uh, it's it's safe to say that regardless of even how these cases that we discussed uh, play out, I, I'm guessing that this is going to continue to be an issue for, for the United States. Uh, it, it really hasn't let up that much uh, in the 200 plus years that we've been dealing with. Uh, so we'll, we'll keep track. But thank you for helping us unpack, uh, you know, the, these, these cases because unpack. it's, it's, yeah, <laughs> unpack and not crack. Uh, those are gerrymandering terms for those of those listeners out there who think uh, possibly we've lost our minds. Uh, <laughs> so, but Simone, Stephanie, thank you so much uh, for, for talking about this and uh, look forward to reading your stories because you're, you're cranking them out, particularly on this issue. And, uh, and it's, a, it's a good guide for me, certainly. I hope it is a good guide for our readers as well and our listeners. Thanks. Thank you. And thank you for joining us. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, NPR One, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can even ask your smart speaker slash smart home Maybe even your smart toaster. Just say, Alexa, Google Home, whatever. Uh, I'd like to listen to political theater with Jason Dick. Uh, And please take a moment to rate us on iTunes for more on this and other stories, including Simone's and 
Stephanie's. You can visit rollcall.com or find us on Twitter at rollcall. Thanks for listening.